0: If you're new or visiting, my name is Tyler. I'm the downtown pastor. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to the book of Jonah, to the book of Jonah. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry about it. It's gonna be on the screen behind me throughout the sermon. So we're continuing on through this, just what's been a phenomenal series so far in the book of Jonah. Today actually marks the halfway point in our series. In a lot of ways, Today we're beginning part two of the story. See the first two chapters of Jonah explains what God had to do in order to teach Jonah that salvation belongs to him. So ships, sailors, storms, and fish were used as God's ways of instruction. And once God has changed Jonah and taught him that salvation belongs to him, here's what God does. God sends his word to him again. And his second word to Jonah on the beaches where the fish has vomited him up, his second word is gonna make one thing abundantly clear about how God feels and his intention towards the world, that God is dead set on loving, blessing, and saving people from all over the planet, that he has a mission to rescue and redeem those who are far from him, and he wants to do it through his people. Look at Jonah three. Verses one through three, this is the word of God. It says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breath. So Jonah had just been vomited out of the fish onto dry land, the word of the Lord comes to him a second time, and while it is a fresh word from God, it is not a new word from God. The second word of God to him is the exact same as the first, with only a couple of minor changes. Look at the first word from God, in Jonah one, verses one through two. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, here's the first word, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. There's only a couple of minor changes, but it's the exact same word. And even though Jonah had been through a lot, even though Jonah had made the great confession that salvation belongs to God, God's word does not change. His word comes to him again and says, get up, go to Nineveh, Preach the message that I tell you to preach. The only major difference between the two times that God's word comes to Jonah is his response to the second. Look at verse three. So Jonah, in the second time, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. So this time, instead of getting up to flee away from God, he rises to fulfill what God had commanded. He makes the trek to Nineveh to preach God's word to them. Now this is a marked difference in Jonah if you've been around the last couple of weeks. Up to this point in the story, he has been nothing, nothing but rebellious and obstinate and unfeeling towards the word of God. It took an incredible miracle of God to subdue and wrangle his heart to the ground to trust and obey God. See, God used his call on Jonah's life to go to Nineveh to first repair and reveal his heart before he ever went on mission. Jonah shows us that the mission of God to the church to go to the world acts as a purifying agent for the church as much as it's a saving agent for the world. It acts as a purifying agent for us. He sends us not because he needs us, but because he wants to change us through the process of going. That's why he sends us. Jonah's trying to teach you and teach me that Christians and churches who flee from God's mission are fleeing from his active presence and power in their lives. See, it's interesting to me that the book of Jonah didn't just begin with chapter three, right? Like why, why didn't the story begin with the word of God coming to Jonah and him obeying it? Doesn't God want us to obey him? Isn't the whole Bible about obeying God? So why not start when the word of God comes to Jonah and he obeys? Well, you may think to yourself, well, Tyler, that's not what happened. That's why he started in chapter one. But the truth is, whenever you tell a story, whenever you tell a story, you're always editing out certain information in order to make a point. You're always editing A good story never includes every possible detail. If you don't understand that, you probably don't tell very good stories, okay? If you didn't laugh, sorry. Um, We have at at our church so many incredible artists and writers and storytellers. We have an entire team called the story team and their whole goal is to tell the stories that God's doing here at this church in creative and beautiful and powerful ways. And here's what I've learned about great storytellers. They're thoughtful and they're purposeful about the parts of the story they choose to tell. They're thoughtful and purposeful. See, good storytellers don't exaggerate and good storytellers don't lie about what happened, but they do emphasize they do emphasize what's most important and what's most significant in the narrative. See, details are left out or kept in based on whether or not they highlight what is most essential for the audience to understand, for the audience to feel, and for the audience to respond to. And the even best stories, they will include details in the beginning that seem trivial at first, and then as the narrative concludes, you realize just how important those details truly were. This is how God speaks in the Bible. Listen, the Bible is not all that God knows. You have to know that. The Bible is, isn't all that God knows. The Bible is what God has given us to know about him in order to love and obey him. The Gospel of John highlights this perfectly. The very last verse in the Gospel of John says this, John 21, 25. The apostle says, Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did, and were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. What is he saying? The gospels themselves are not everything Jesus ever did in his life and ministry. Not all that could be said was said. But what was written in the Gospels and in the Bible as a whole was purposely and intentionally chosen by God as what he wanted to say to you, say to me, say to the world. Every word of the Scriptures is completely true and authoritative and trustworthy. So when God chooses to say a certain thing or arrange a narrative in a certain way, he's doing it on purpose. So when he, the reason the reason God didn't simply begin with Jonah's obedience is because he's trying to tell us something. He wanted half of the book of Jonah to be about Jonah's resistance to him, to be about him seeking him out to save him. And he's doing this to show Israel at the time and to show you and the church now that oftentimes, oftentimes, those who are most resistant to the mission of God aren't those furthest from him, but those who believe they're closest to him. Oftentimes, those who are most resistant to loving and serving the world are those who are most religious and have the most Bible knowledge and have been given the most amount of spiritual authority. Think about the story of Jonah. The most disobedient character in the story of Jonah is the prophet, of God, everything, literally everyone and everything in this story is obedient to God other than Jonah. So God speaks to the the wind and says, you're gonna be a storm and go to that ship, it obeys. Jonah tells the sailors, hey, if you just throw me in, you'll be in line with God's will, they obey. God speaks to a fish to swallow Jonah, spit him out, it obeys and what you're gonna find in the next chapter is that as soon as Jonah preaches to pagan Nineveh, They obey. The most obstinate part of creation in the entire story is the only one who has obeyed God before and knows him the best. Jonah is God's way of telling us that oftentimes the biggest offender in the mission of God is the church herself. That's what he's saying. Yes, those who don't believe in God are in rebellion against him in all sorts of forms and fashions, but God has not given them the mission of coming to the church. He's given the church the mission of going to them. That's what he's saying. He's given the church the mission of seeking and saving and welcoming in those who are far from God in a world broken by sin. The church does not simply exist to sing songs and attend Sunday services and try not to sin and read our Bibles. Those are glorious things and we should do them. But if that's all that we do, then we will neglect who God has made us to be and you will miss out on who God truly is. See, you and I, we should sing together. Every Sunday, we should sing together and, we should live as the light of the world who shines good deeds into dark places. Listen to how Jesus talks about you. Matthew 5:14. Jesus says, "You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden." Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works, that's your light, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's sing and let's live as the light of the world. See, we should listen to sermons on Sunday. We should be an active part of the church and we should live as the salt of the earth who more than anybody else on this planet fights to preserve and protect human dignity and flourishing, who seeks to restore what's been broken and push back what's decaying. Listen how Jesus talks about you again. Matthew five thirteen. Jesus says you are the salt of the earth. You preserve what's good, you preserve what's right. We have to put to death our personal sins. We have to fight for holiness, and you have to live as the heavenly ambassador that you are to show this world there is a kingdom that supersedes all others. Listen, now Paul talks about us. He says, all this is from God in 2 Corinthians 5. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We are called to be the hope of the world, not because we're superior, but because God is making his appeal through us. That's the calling on your life. That's the way Jesus talked about it, the way Paul talks about it. That's just who you are. It's who you are. Your life doesn't change who you are. It just is more or less in line with who you are. But without fail, without fail, we consistently shy away from this calling. Our lives are made to be a part of God, reconciling all things to himself and we get to be a part of that? And yet what you and I tend to do, what I tend to do, is I'd rather settle for a comfortable church and an easy life where God does not upset my status quo and the dreams I've inherited from my culture. See, like Jonah, the worst offenders in the mission of God can be those who obeyed God in the past and have the most biblical knowledge. See, past obedience and biblical knowledge are used by your sin and mind to justify lack of care and concern for the world around us. Listen, past obedience and biblical knowledge are glorious things. You should thank God that you have either one of them But there's something, there's something about God's command to love those who don't believe, to go to those who've never heard, and to give to those who don't have that brings out something about our sin that's unique. And instead of past obedience and biblical knowledge serving us in these endeavors and this mission, they tend to deceive us into inaction. Here's what happens. You've done this before, I'm sure. Past obedience, and biblical knowledge can act like a spiritual savings account. It can act like a spiritual savings account. So when God convicts you to obey in new, challenging, maybe even radical ways, you know what we all do? We begin in our minds to draw from our spiritual savings account of past obedience and biblical knowledge to pay off our conscience and to cover the spirit's conviction. That's what we do. God won't really mind if I don't obey here because I've already obeyed over there. Surely, I would be able to discern if this is conviction or just some bad food that I ate, right? I've been faithful. Surely, this is not what I think that it is. Instead of having this ongoing sort of active account with God where we spend ourselves to zero for the sake of other people and God in his infinite riches continues to replenish us and restore us as we go, what the church typically does, what I typically do is we become stagnant and we only spend for ourselves. We only spend for those programs and those things that benefit me and my family. And what we do is we act like past obedience gains interest over time, that's what we do. What should fuel us, often our sin uses to stop us. And you have to know that if any any church is gonna be tempted to do this, it's us, it's us. If any church is gonna be tempted to do this, it is the Austin Stone because, because God has done so much. God has used the people of this church to do, I mean, mind-boggling things, things that God himself only could do. I mean, we as a people, not, not just leaders, we as a people have fought to be faithful to the word of God in any and every theological, ethical, and cultural storm that comes our way. I know many of you have lost relationships and have felt the ridicule that comes with being faithful to the word of God no matter what. I mean, we have sought to be a church that makes our entire city better. We have fought to see that our neighbors and coworkers and friends and the marginalized and the oppressed would be served and know and experience the love of God through us. We have literally sent hundreds of people with thousands supporting them to the ends of the earth to take the gospel to those who have never heard. We've had people in this church give up whatever they had to so that the nations could have everything. We've had all these incredible things that God himself has done among us, but we have to be careful. We have to be careful that this doesn't become the very reason we justify disobedience now and in the future, because that's what our sin will do God keeps calling all of us to the world, not simply to change them, but to change you and to change me and to revive this church. See, God's call on Jonah's life changed him before it changed anybody else. Church, listen to me. If mission becomes something we used to do, then God's power in God's presence will be something we used to experience. Remember Jonah, when he fled from from obeying God's call to go to those who didn't believe, the text is really clear. God says he wasn't just fleeing, he wasn't just being disobedient, he was fleeing from my presence. Jonah 1, two through three, he says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it for their evil has come up before me. Now listen but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish, but look, where was he going? From the presence of the Lord. Mission, loving those far from God, mission uniquely keeps us in step and in line with God's presence in the world. It doesn't solve all of our problems, but it's the way to keep in step and in line with where God is active and moving. I mean, this has been my story. This has been my experience. I remember my my first four years, my first four years of being a Christian, I had very little proactive engagement with those who didn't believe. Sure, I'd have the random conversation. I may even strike up a conversation on an airplane, which is the worst, regardless of who you are, right? I'd have those conversations, but the proactive, intentional engagement was not anything that I found important. Now, during those first four years of me being a believer, listen, God grew me in significant ways in my knowledge and my understanding of the word of God and how Christian friendships and relationships work, but mission was not a priority for me. And what I see in those first four years, what I see in people's lives when mission's not a priority is I lacked spiritual power. I lacked it. I had a lot of knowledge and a lot of talk. I could out-argue anybody, but I had very little power. For all of my verbiage, for all of my theological acumen, I struggled with the exact same sins at the exact same rate for four years. During that time, I never got to see anybody who wasn't a believer become a believer. See, I had experienced healing of God's forgiveness, but I had yet to know the power of God for change. I just hadn't experienced it yet. But I remember I moved to Austin, I was 22. I moved to Austin, I became a part of this community where loving the world was their goal. It was their goal, like where they lived. How they organized their calendars and how they viewed their hobbies and how they viewed their workplace and where they hung out in the city, they saw all of those things as things they enjoy and as opportunities to serve those and love those and listen to those who are far from God. I had never, I'd never seen anything like it. I'd never seen anything like it. I knew Christians who had gone on a mission trip, and I knew people who would every now and then engage in conversations or debates, I had never met anybody who thought about, hey, this week when I eat lunch, who am I going to invite to eat lunch with me who doesn't believe? Just a normal everyday rhythm of their week. And as it was so uncomfortable for me because my tendency is, if there's someone I don't know and a a crowd that's large, my tendency is to run in the opposite direction. And yet I thought I'm going to jump and I'm going to get past the awkwardness and I'm just gonna try this out. And as relationships and as conversations with those who didn't believe became a much bigger part of my life, my world began to change. It wasn't overnight, but it began to change. And what began to happen is even more than changing the lives of other people, though I got to see that, it changed me. I think, of anyone I talked to in that season of my life. And even now as I do it, it changes me more than it changes them. See, here's what happened, the gospel, during when I began to live my life on mission, the gospel moved from being this theoretical idea and this thing I only needed when I sinned in really big and bad ways, like you looked at pornography, and that's when I need the gospel, but other than that, I'm probably pretty good. It moved from that to an ever-present need in my life because my selfishness runs deep. and The people I'm talking to need the hope of God's grace. The the Holy Spirit and mission moved from this debate about prophecy and tongues in the church and it moved into the person who was leading us and empowering our witness for mission in the world. The church moved from acquaintances that I shared a room with on Sunday and I argued with about theology and carpets maybe, depending on your background, And it moved from that into actually brothers and sisters who I locked arms with in order to love the world around me. God used mission to make Jesus more central, more prominent, and more important in my life before he did it in anyone else's. That's what mission does. And if you've ever been on a mission trip before, you've experienced this in small doses. Now, these short stints, while sometimes they can create some unrealistic expectations about how to live on mission and normal rhythms of life, they're still very powerful because they give you a vision of what it means to live your life on mission. See, when your life, and you've known this before, maybe in seasons, when your life is oriented around the mission of God, you are forced to depend on him in ways that makes your faith vibrate. Like you have to deal with God, deal with the grace of God in very messy, complicated situations. You are stretched to your limits. So now prayer is essential. Now time in the word is essential because you need wisdom and you need help. Christian community in the church moves from being optional and casual to a necessity. Mission revives the church as God saves those far from him. Now as a church our size with so many variations of life stage and spiritual maturity, this is gonna mean different things for different people. So I'm gonna give you three applications and we'll be done. Three applications and like a good preacher, I made all of them begin with the letter R. I've never done an alliteration before. This may be my first and last one, but it just worked, okay? And you, like a good listener, pray and discern which one is for you. Don't just think, hey, R is pretty cool. Like actually discern What does God have for you? Here are the three words for us to consider. Repent, risk, remain. First, repent. There are some of you, listen, there are some of you who truly don't care. You just don't. You don't care about the world around us. You really don't care. And you would do yourself and everyone around you a favor if you just admitted that. If you just said that. I mean, that, that was me in college. I, I'm, I'm not throwing stones. That was me in college, exactly who I was. I didn't really care. I knew that I should care. I believed theologically that I should care, but deep in my heart, I did not. Here's how you can know. Nothing in you breaks for other people. Nothing in you is torn apart. Nothing in you is grieved when you see people who don't believe in Jesus, not knowing the hope that he, we have in him. The step for you when you realize that, like I really don't care, the step for you is to repent of your lack of love for the world and to repent of your obstinance to God's calling on your life. You start with repentance. Remember Jonah, remember Jonah. Before he obeyed the call to go, he obeyed God's discipline to repent. Before he ever went, what did he need to do first? God, I'm wrong, you're right, salvation belongs to you. So if the gospel of Jesus for you doesn't make you want other people to know the same Jesus, then your understanding and your belief in that gospel is small. I know that's a hard thing to say, but it's true and I need you to receive that. If nothing about the grace of God for you makes you want to tell other people, then your belief in it is small at best. If you don't care to talk about the gospel to other people, you probably don't love God the way you think you do. Listen, if I have learned anything about human beings, I mean anything about human beings as a pastor, is you can't help but be passionate and talk about what you love. You can't help it. That's why any person, whatever diet changed their life, they won't shut up about it. That's why it is. Pick the diet, all vegetables, all meat, whatever, doesn't matter. Whatever changed them, they're gonna talk to you about, they're gonna post about, they're gonna feel passionate about. Human beings cannot help but be passionate about and talk about what they love. And so if the idea of talking to someone who doesn't believe in Jesus, honestly, in your heart, feels non-essential, then you probably don't love God the way you think that you do. And the solution to this, listen, the solution to this is not, so if you wanna love God, sign up for a class. That's not the solution. The solution always when we recognize and, and, under, and we begin to see, I don't believe the gospel, I don't understand the depths of my sin and the heights of his grace and the ways that I should. Do you know what your response always should be in every sit- uh, situation and circumstance? To confess your sin to God to repent and believe the grace of God for you afresh. Listen, confession, repentance, and faith is the inhaling and exhaling of the Christian life. You cannot survive if you are not consistently confessing, repenting, and believing God's grace for you. So even if this is an abnormal thing for you to do, Once again, that probably tells you that you are probably more distant from God than you realize. Everyone I know who is in a vibrant relationship with God, confession, repentance, and faith is a constant inhaling and exhaling of their life. So if you truly don't care, don't fake, don't front, just confess. Second, once we repent, second, risk. There are so many of you who have genuinely believed the gospel, genuinely been changed by the grace of God and you are excited, you know God, even if you're in a season where you're just being disciplined and you're trying your best to be faithful, still in your heart of hearts, you want to be on mission, you know you should, you believe in God, but you have yet to actually take a risk to be on mission in this world. This is a lot of you. You genuinely have been changed by God but you've yet to actually take a risk to make your life count. You have yet to take that leap, big or small, to make your life count in the kingdom of God. So remember Jonah, remember Jonah. His obedience meant taking a risk to go to Nineveh. He did not know how the story would end. He didn't know. God just said, you go to Nineveh, your enemy, they may kill you, they may do all sorts of things to you. Trust me. And go, going, mission, does not guarantee that we won't suffer or struggle. All it guarantees is that you'll be faithful to God and you'll be near his presence. You take that risk. Some of you need to join a missional community today and quit putting it off. And quit putting it off. Because listen, if you're ever going to live on mission in any sustainable long-term sort of way, you have to be in a community of people. You have to be with friends. You have to be people in your life who encourage you and challenge you to keep going. Listen, obedience to God will always be complicated. College student, it'll always be complicated. Young professional, I know you're busy, always be complicated. Families, I know kids take everything, always complicated. Obedience to God will always be complicated. That doesn't mean we shouldn't risk and attempt and try and go. Now, if you're here and you're like, what in the world is a missional community? Ask any one of our staff members or leaders, and if they don't know, give me their names, okay? Um, <laughs> we'll give them grace after that. Um, and if you're in a missional community, if you're, and a lot of you are not in missional communities, let me get, tell you this. Live on mission and live for one mission in particular. Here's what I've learned, I've gotten to have the privilege of pastoring a lot of missional communities. Don't try to reach everyone and do everything. You can't. Be faithful in one area before you try to be faithful in five. Be faithful in one area. So maybe you just feel burdened for your neighborhood or your workplace, that's great, start there. Maybe you and your community say, hey, our neighborhood or this workplace, we're just gonna focus on being kind to and intentionally reaching out to them. Maybe you really wanna support a local school around you. Maybe you wanna be a part of some city initiative for education. Maybe you see some injustice in our city, you wanna be a part of redeeming and reconciling and restoring. Great, start there. Maybe you wanna support our goers and pray for the nations. Great, start there. No one person is going to reach all of Austin. No one person is going to reach all the nations. If you say, I want to reach Austin, but you can't meet your next door neighbor, it's never going to happen. Start small, because all of us, myself included, all of us are going to play small little roles. The church can't fulfill her mission if all of us in our communities don't play our small little roles and expand expanding his massive kingdom. Some of you, some of you need to risk and leave our church. Not because you don't love us and not because we don't love you, because something is burning in you and you want to see what God has done here happen somewhere else. You don't know why? Maybe it's a different part of Austin, maybe it's a different part of the country, maybe it's a different part of the world. But something in you is burdened for this people or this group or this new mission or this new task or this church plant. And you wanna be a part of helping them and seeing what God's done here happen in LA or in Bangladesh and you wanna be a part of that. Take a risk. God will be with you every time. And then lastly, remain. Repent, risk, remain. I know, I know So many of you who've been listening to this sermon have already repented of and risked so much. Like we have a lot of people who are here who are new, you've been in the stone maybe two years or less. We're so happy you're part of this church. I want you to know we have some men and women of this church who you don't know their names and they are spiritual giants and heroes of this church who have given themselves in ways that I'm honored to even get to be a part of. And and you're in this camp, you're in this group of people where you have been faithful, you have fostered and adopted children you have given financially and generosity to this church. You've thrown block parties, you've hosted Bible studies, you've gone overseas, you've served refugees, you've joined new communities of someone you didn't know, you've gone out of your way to meet new neighbors and new coworkers and you've welcomed people into your home again and again and again and here's what you find on mission, and you know this, all of that has cost you more than you ever realized you would have to give. That's what mission does. Mission, the reality of it, is always much messier than the inspiring vision that called you to risk in the first place. And you get in it, and it's difficult, and honestly, I know you, honestly, what this does, it's probably made you a little jaded, both about other people and yourself. Here's my plea to you, remain, remain. Radical obedience doesn't always mean leaving where you are. Radical obedience a lot of the time means remaining faithful, steadfast, kind, loving, and hopeful when all you want to do is leave. That is radical. Remember Jonah. Remember Jonah. The mission didn't require one massive step of obedience, one big risk and everything else was easy after that. What did mission require of him? We know that where the, wherever the fish vomited him up, on the coast, he was still 500 miles from Nineveh. Obedience looked like one small step over time in a particular direction. Church, that's what mission is. Measure your success in direction, not distance. I'm going on mission, I'm going to where God has called me and it's slow and steady and we stay the course. Listen, remaining in mission will feel impossible the more you believe the lies of the enemy about yourself and about God. Listen, we give up on mission so easily and so quickly because because we listen to lies. Because we've let our sin and the deceiver take what should be, what should be seasoned experience and wisdom about mission, and he turns it into jaded cynicism. People never change. I've tried that, it didn't work. Cynicism, it will never work. Scars because of our enemy, the scars we get as we love other people, instead of becoming teachers, they become defeaters. On mission, we don't address the ways that we're truly hurt, the ways that we're truly wounded, because more than we realize, our performance on mission has become our new identity. We try to love people, but when you try to love other people, your own personal sins, your secret sins that they may not know about consistently plague you and tell you you're a hypocrite, why try? Satan's Most effective attack to keep all of us from mission is not so much the threats of the world. You know what it is? The accusations of your failures and getting you to doubt God's power. Satan does use opposition to threaten the church, but all that typically does historically is embolden the church. Martyrs tend to make the church more faithful, not less. But the best way The best way to immobilize a Christian and to immobilize a church is to load them down with guilt and to make you doubt God could ever save or use you. To convince you God can't use failures like you. God can't use broken people like you. He wants you to believe that you're always guilty so that you'll settle for a career and a family and education and life and money that just builds your little name and your little kingdom. He wants you to settle for that. He wants God's name and God's kingdom to feel far-fetched and too grand for someone like you to be a part of. But here's what Jonah shows. Jonah shows us that God calls us to mission to show off his power through failures. That's what Jonah's all about. Jonah had just sinned and quit in the most public way possible, and through this guy's preaching, God's gonna save an entire city. God never called his people to mission because they had it all together, or because we were strong, it's actually the opposite. He calls you right where you are to show the world he saves sinners like us. That's what he's doing. He's doing this through broken people and failures like you and failures like me to show the world that the power belongs to God, not to us. Listen to how the apostle Paul thinks about his ministry, 2 Corinthians 4, 7, in our ministry. But we have this treasure, this gospel, this glory of God, where is it hidden? Jars of clay, broken, normal people like us. Why does he do it that way? so that the surpassing power belongs to God, to show that it belongs to God, and not to us. So, you ever failed God miserably? Like right now, do you feel like you are in desperate need of mercy and grace because you have failed in the most egregious public way possible? Congratulations, you're exactly who God wants to use. You're exactly who he wants to use. Mission revives the church and changes you before you change anybody else. The word of God comes to Jonah and to you again, and again, and again, and it says, I forgive you. It picks you up and it keeps sending you out because he wants the world to see, I love my people as broken as they are. I'm gonna use them to show you I'm the one who's saving, not them. Your failures don't disqualify you, they get you ready for mission. So church, repent, risk, and remain for your joy in God, for the good of all peoples, and for the glory of God alone. Let's pray together. Father, I am overwhelmed by your grace to people like us. I'm overwhelmed that every time we run away, you keep calling us back. I'm overwhelmed that every one of our failures doesn't disqualify us, but it enables us to have a story to tell of grace for sinners like us. God, I know how Satan speaks to these people and I know he tells them all the time they're guilty. Jesus, remind us that we're free not for our own benefit, not for our own purposes, God, but for yours. That you take men and women in this room who think their lives could never count for anything and you'd remind them that Jesus, you bled and died to make them a part of your kingdom. Save us from being a church First, who's not grateful for all the ways you've moved and all the people you've saved and all the good you've done through this church. Make us grateful for that. But God, I'm asking you to give us new calls to mission. That right now you'd raise up men and women in this church who lead me and tell us the next place we need to go. that we would see that the future of the Austin Stone is brighter and bigger than it has been in the past. God, that you'd use this church to rescue your sons and daughters who are thinking there is no hope in this life and they could never be forgiven or loved. God, send the people of this church to tell them. Jesus, thank you for power and grace that never lets us settle. Help us sing, help us believe, help us follow. We pray all these things in Christ's mighty name, amen. Let's stand, sing together.